Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek and Wix.com. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of March 25th, 2019. Well, we did it, folks. Spring training is over, as in just a few days, opening day for the rest of Major League Baseball begins as, as the Chicago White Sox start the 2019 season on the road, heading to Kansas City and Cleveland to kick off the season. On this week's episode, we'll make our 2019 season predictions with the help of some of our listeners who join the show to share how many wins they see the White Sox having, who will be the best player for the White Sox, and their bold prediction for the season. We start this week's show with the best news. Aloy Jimenez will be with the White Sox on opening day after he signed a new contract, six years, $43 million with two club options. It's the largest deal in MLB history for a pre-arbitration player, of course, before he's taken at bat with the White Sox. There have been other players, especially international free agents, that have signed larger deals. Uh, while this is great news, though, the timing is a bit odd. After an offseason of missing premier free agents, why did the White Sox decide now to move forward in this direction with Aloy? Well, to help try to make sense of things is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. What do you make of the White Sox signing what could be the largest contract in team history with a player that's never had an a bat in the majors and they manipulated his service time last year. 
Well, I think for for starters, I think it speaks to the high hopes they have for him. Um, it also, you know, with the high hopes and with the service time issue and, and, and with them calling up Jimenez for, uh, say, before the Super 2 cutoff to where they would have to go through four arbitration years, they probably saw a very steep arbitration earnings climb for him as well. So when I was looking at the deal going year to year, it looked like, you know, maybe through the third or fourth year, uh, the White Sox are breaking even, or maybe Jimenez was coming out a little bit ahead, especially say if Jimenez lost a year to injury that, that set his, um, arbitration trajectory back a little bit. It seems like, you know, about after the fourth year, that's when you really would see the savings for the White Sox. So, um, it, it seems, you know, based on, uh, the timing of it and the fact that they optioned him down beforehand, it seemed like they were probably haggling over it for a while. And, uh, yeah, it seems like Jimenez did pretty well for himself, given that, uh, you know, he had to give up potentially two years of free agency for it. Um, you know, he, he set the record for, uh, size of contract for somebody without an bat for, uh, uh, or by quite a bit, like a large cushion. Uh, the previous record was 24 million. So to go to 43, almost doubling it, uh, it seems like he held out and, and uh, got the best deal he could possibly could. And it does make the White Sox incur some risk. Uh, but if Jimenez hits like he, uh, the White Sox think he can, it's still going to come out to some fairly big savings, like by year six, seven, eight. Yeah. For those two club options, by the way, the first club option is $16.5 million. The second one is $18.5 million. If both those club options were picked up, it would be eight years, $78 million that Aloy Jimenez will make with the White Sox before he becomes a free agent at the age 30 season. And then who knows uh, what it looks like eight years from now. But, you know, this is the White Sox are making a commitment to him. They believe in him. I think everybody does believe in his skill set that he could be a future star. I'm curious on what is going on in Toronto between Vlad Guerrero Jr. and the Blue Jays. If maybe Vlad Guerrero Jr. breaks Jimenez's new record uh, or if there's any interest after what has been going on with the service time manipulation between the Blue Jays and Vlad Jr., uh, but this also comes on the heels, Jim, of other extensions we've seen throughout Major League Baseball in this last week, and it's been jaw-dropping. Obviously, the first one is Mike Trout's 12-year, $426.5 million extension to stay in Anaheim with the Angels. I don't think anyone will ever break that amount in Major League Baseball. Uh, Blake Snell, he's going to stay in Tampa, five years, $50 million, uh, which is more than what Aaron Nola and Luis Severino signed earlier in the offseason. Alex Bregman signed a six-year, $100 million extension with the Houston Astros. Speaking of the Astros, they locked up Justin Verlander for two years, $66 million. And Chris Sale is going to stay in Boston as he signed a five-year extension worth $145 million. And... I guess looking at this, and you include Ayla Jimenez's contract extension and all this, Jim, why a week before opening day do you think teams like the White Sox and across all of Major League Baseball decided now is the time to open the wallet and dish out serious cash and commitments? Well, I think traditionally spring is the time to do it. So with the White Sox, with Chris Sale and Jose Quintana, those are reached in the spring. 
and and maybe it's just you know coming off the off season, uh, getting an idea of how healthy somebody is or, or what somebody has, having a whole winter to think it over, and having the constant face to face interaction that makes it possible to get a deal done. So there's that. But yeah, there are a ton of deals, especially for impending free agents. That's been the the shocking thing. Even if you go back to Nolan Arenado uh, with the Rockies, you're taking him off the free agent market. You know, Sale Verlander, uh, they're out. Arenado's out. The the top of the free agent market is really falling off, and I think that's really the startling thing. You know, a deal like Bregman's and Snell's, I think more notable because they had expressed discontent with how little they were renewed for, uh, you know, making barely above the league minimum for having, you know, with Bregman MVP consideration year and with Snell a Cy Young award winning year. Uh, but, you know, those are more traditional, like along the lines of, yeah, well, Jimenez is in traditional because he doesn't have a uh, uh, plate appearance in the majors yet, but at least, you know, it's the same kind of thing buying out pre-RBers and RBers and a couple years of free agency. You know, we, we've seen that before, but, all these impending free agents coming off, I think, are the most curious, and it does speak to the power that teams have uh, coming to the negotiating table, and and I guess maybe some of the fear in going to the open market, especially like a case like Sale. I think with Verlander, you know, a two-year deal is probably about as uh, good as he could do because he'll be 39 at the end of that deal, uh, and after that's going to be a year-to-year proposition thing for him, whether it's retirement or you know, hanging on. Um, but I think Sale, uh, given that he only pitched 158 regular season innings, his velocity went up and down. He had a, a shoulder issue uh, that kept him out. If he hit free agency this time around, I would have been fascinated by what kind of interest he drew and, and how he would compare to somebody like Patrick Corbin, who had a relatively smooth negotiation period. I could see Sale, you know, getting lowballed by teams or at least teams really mm. trying to, uh, I guess, use that shoulder issue and his lack of availability against him. And, and I don't know if they'd be successful, but given how long Machado and, and Harper took to sign, I could see a similar thing with sale. So uh, that kind of struck me there. Although he also pointed out that spring training is very close to his, his home and that he's able to have like two normal months with his kids that he didn't have before. And, and so he had some personal reasons too, but uh, free agency is really thinning out and it seems like that might continue to be the case until the new CBA is uh, agreed to and, and, you know, or whether it's uh, agreed to or fought over or, um, you know, something that's dragged out. I, I think uh, this might be the case where you just can't count on any real great players being, being available in free agency. And uh, unfortunately, that makes the Manny Machado miss uh, loom so much larger. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because right now, here are the top 10 free agents next offseason, in my opinion, before we start the year. Number one is Garrett Cole, but Garrett Cole could stay in Houston. It sounds like the Astros and Cole are, are at least had conversations, Jim, about signing an extension to keep Cole in Houston. Mm-hmm. But right now, all we know is that Verlander has done it. So we'll see how long Garrett Cole is number one. Number two is, is Xander Bogarts, and it sounds like the Red Sox and Bogarts will not be agreeing to an extension before the season. Anthony Rendon with the Washington Nationals, uh, but 
we have read numerous times on his interest in staying in Washington. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. Uh, J.D. Martinez, only if he opts out, he still has three years, $60 million on his original deal with Boston. Then you have Josh Donaldson, who only signed a one-year deal with Atlanta this year. Madison Bumgarner, if he's healthy. Mm -hmm. Marcelo Zuna, who I think is intriguing, but is an outfielder, and the White Sox have a bunch of outfield prospects coming. Yankee shortstop Didi Gregorius, who's missing the first half of the year because of Tommy John. Mets starter and often injured Zach Wheeler. And then Yasiel Puig. I mean, that's what your top 10 is looking at. If anybody else signs extensions here, and we could see three or four more players sign extensions, uh, pretty soon we're going to be saying Jose Abreu would be a top 10 free agent Mm -hmm. uh, next offseason. Does this recent activity and extensions by other teams pour more salt in the wound with the White Sox missing out on Manny Machado, Jim? It does. Um, I think maybe my wound is as salty as it gets. Uh, you know, it's been that way for a while, so it's just diminishing returns when it comes to ramping it up. But uh, that was my fear, is that, uh, you know, not necessarily all these extensions, but with Arenado coming off the uh, coming off the market like a week after Machado signed, that was my concern, is that some of these guys wouldn't be available. And, and then you would have one or two players... Uh, with five or six teams bidding for them. Whereas with Machado, you only really had one serious suitor, uh, especially since uh, Harper ended up going to the Phillies. But uh, Buster Olney had a, a curious comment, uh, or at least uh, it was a tweet, and I think it was a column, about what he called Terminator GMs and how they're just kind of systematically devaluing free agents and able to coerce or, or more or less uh, you know stack the circumstances to where they're able to lower the price. And it, it does seem like that to where just all these things are falling in line, whether it's kind of copycat for teams doing it, whether there's, uh, you know, the, the players might be instigating it more uh, along the lines of copycatting to try to get their uh, earnings maximized before a potential work stoppage. Uh, but when they mention Terminator, just uh, it seems like they're all working together. You know, not, not like collusion, maybe in the terms of, uh, yeah, it could be collusion, but at least uh, when it comes to just the way they're all working towards trying to get the lowest possible price. Whereas before, uh, I guess in a normally functioning open market, you would have these teams trying to be terminators against each other, you know, trying to outbid each other, trying to maybe get uh, you know, not not pay out the nose, but at least you know, sweeten the deal somehow, come with a superior offer. Uh, for a player they really needed. And it seemed like the White Sox were in that Terminator mode where they're trying to get a player for the price they wanted and and, uh, arrange a complicated or at least more complicated deal to get a player on their terms. And it just didn't work out. And it seemed like they were more concerned. You know, Jerry Reinsdorf was more concerned about getting a player at his price and, and, uh, you know, not setting a market, uh, not going 10 years. Uh, These weird cutoffs that really didn't matter with the White Sox long-term picture. And, uh, you know, if, if it were a truly competitive market with uh, owners and, and GMs going against each other, it, it seems like uh, the White Sox would have, you know, gone bigger, gone higher, tried to make that you know, perfect addition to where they didn't have to shop in that end of the market anymore. So, yeah, it's it's all the more confusing, but I think with the White Sox, it's just they had no interest in setting a market for any player, and they probably never will. One player we did forget with all these extensions is Paul Goldschmidt staying in St. Louis. Oh, yeah. 
for the next five years. So uh, my next question is from a White Sox perspective. So you mentioned as far as a Terminator GM, and Rick Hahn is definitely one of those GMs because we've seen it over and over again from his activity, Chris Sale, Jose Quintana, Adam Eaton, now Eloy Jimenez. Who's next? From your perspective uh, and looking at the White Sox, after Eloy got paid, who's possibly next in line for the White Sox to agree with a new extension? Hmm. Maybe Reynaldo Lopez. Hmm. Okay. That was one I did not think of, but that's a good one. That's a good one. Because, you know, the obvious targets would be like Carlos Rodon, right? But he's a Scott Boris client. He strikes me like Joe Creedy, a, a Scott Boris client who has some health issues and, and maybe neither side is all that interested in it and really just wants to get to the end of the team control period and then figure out what he looks like by then. Okay. Uh, Jose Breu, which continues to drag on, and I don't think there's going to be a resolution between both parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yoan Mikata, is that a possibility? I don't think so, just because he's already been paid once. Uh, you know, he's had the big initial bonus, so you know, he's already had life-changing money. So that's not as much of a concern getting that one you know, massive guaranteed contract uh, that potentially delays his free agency and um, you know, costs him a little bit of money if he puts it all together. Okay, but I look at it from Alex Bregman's point of view. If Mikata blows up this year and really has a breakout year, I wonder if the White Sox would want to try to avoid an extension uh, because of their cheapness uh, where they would have to commit $100 million to keep a player like Yohan Mikata with them for the next six, seven years. Yeah, maybe. Uh, when, you, when you put it that way, and, and if the White Sox, like with this Jimenez deal, to where it's not a steal for them, I think that's what it would have to look like. Right. right. I, I figure someone's coming down the pipe but I'm glad you mentioned Ronaldo Lopez because that that's a good one. That one makes sense. Maybe a five-year deal. If he continues to pitch well, he'll be really expensive in arbitration. That's a good one, Jim. I, I like that one. I think there's mutual appreciation between the two, too. Um, you know, the White Sox have always believed in him as a starting prospect and seems like he's putting it together. I think he's got a little bit of uh, finishing work to do with the slider uh, and, and making you know, getting more swings and misses with uh, his off-speed stuff. But there probably is a real starter there and, and probably one that isn't going to, uh, you know, kind of more along the lines of maybe Jose Quintana, where it's just like nobody calls him an ace, but, uh, you know, he, he does have, you know, 200 innings in him and he is uh, able to, you know, get an ERA routinely below four. Seems like it could be that kind of uh, deal to where, um, you know, one good payday is... Uh, one he'll take. And he's shown to be, as you said, someone that's strong enough that could take on a full regular season. With the way that, that things are going for the White Sox starting pitchers, uh, that is becoming a more valuable skill set. Uh, <laughs> looking at how uh, everybody else has been injured or ineffective that you maybe do not want them to throw uh, 200 innings. But I really like that one. Ronaldo Lopez is a good one. If you guys have other ideas on maybe possible targets that the White Sox can float extensions, definitely let us know in the comments section on SoxMachine.com. But we're going to be moving on as we'll discuss the White Sox final 25-man roster before opening day. But before we get to that, a quick word from our sponsor. A quick word from our sponsor, Wix.com. Let's say you run a small business or thinking about launching one 
or you have a big event upcoming like a wedding or maybe you want to get your voice heard and decide to launch your own blog or podcast. You'll need a website to help launch and there is no better place to get started than at Wix.com. Over 140 million people use Wix for their website because it's easy to get started and publish for free. You can choose from 500 stunning templates, or if you have some design chops, you can make your own from scratch. With built-in SEO tools, you can get your website found online easily on Google, and every site is automatically optimized for any device, whether you're looking at it from a PC or mobile device. Wix even has built-in tools like storage, custom domains, custom email addresses, marketing tools, and e-commerce. With a dedicated support team, Wix can help you launch a complex website to help you run your entire business or a simple place for you to share your talents to the world. Whatever you are dreaming of, you'll need a website, and Wix can help. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash podcast to get 10% off when you upgrade your site. Now we know that Aloy will be with the White Sox on opening day. We started to get word from Glendale about other White Sox players making the roster. So congratulations to Manny Benuelos, Dylan Covey, Caleb Frere, and Ryan Burr as they will join the Chicago White Sox bullpen. Irving Santana will be the fifth starter, but sounds like he will start the season on the injured list, which does open up another spot on the roster, at least for two weeks. And Jim, when I tried my hand at guessing which direction Renteria will go filling out the 25-man roster, I had initially penciled in Santana ready to pitch, which meant picking Caleb Frere over Daniel Polka. And I know that wasn't a popular choice because he's a fan favorite, but I figured Renteria would go with eight relievers, and that does appear to be the case. But now that Santana won't be with the team right away, do you think Polka makes the cut, or will other players make up the White Sox bench? I'm not sure, because it seems like with Polka, one, he had a really bad spring, and it was in, it was uh, stunted by a hamstring uh, tweak and then he just hadn't looked right uh, striking out a lot not really making contact or quality contact so uh, you know there's that there's also the, f- the fact that if they want to bring Eloy Jimenez up for the start of the season uh, they need to send somebody down like it needs to be on the DL just because uh, you know Jimenez optioned down normally with players who are optioned they have to be down in AAA for 10 days before they can be called back up and and that would apply to opening day but they can be called back up if there's a roster vacancy uh because of injury so it would seem like they would need to send somebody down and, and or at least uh you know put somebody on the injured list and with Nicky Delmonico already being optioned and and he was coming off a concussion you know that seemed like one possibility they they pretend he's going to be on the 25 man roster they put him on the injured list and then they bring Jimenez up and then they end up optioning uh Delmonico afterwards but that didn't happen so Polka seems like the next most likely unless it's John Jay just because Jay was battling a hip injury for the uh, uh for a lot of the spring he did appear in the last game of Cactus League play, and I guess we'll see you know, over the two exhibition games in Arizona whether he returns to the field. But it would seem like one of those two guys might have to go to the injured list in order to uh, get Jimenez up unless they wanted to, say, bring up uh, or at least put Kelvin Herrera or Nate Jones on the injured list because uh, neither of them look all that great or 100% ready for opening day. But that seems less likely to me. 
how disappointing would it be to have the team league leader in home runs last year not start the year on the 25-man roster? It would be very, I guess, White Sox rebuild for that to happen, just having these uh, joys be so fleeting. Um, But, you know, it does point to Palka being, you know, not a given. It felt like he was a given um, just because he had the, uh, he had the power, he had an, a strong finish to his season to where he was starting to get that power under control and, and have more competitive at-bats before the eighth inning uh, on a routine basis. And so there was some momentum there. Uh, and it looked like maybe he was, uh, you know, when it comes to rookies, especially rookies who have been living on the fringes for years, basically I take any kind of success, you know, in, in the rookie season to be, you know, I guess, I try to get greedy with it. So if, if Paul hits, uh, you know, leads the team in homers and doesn't have a great OBP and, uh, you know, strikes out too much, you know, there were the homers, there were the important RBIs, there were the clutch hits. And so I'll take that as a successful season. And then year two is about uh, trying to piece together a sustainable game. And so I was going to give him that, that slack, but you know, when he had the kind of spring that he had and uh, when you have Jimenez signing that extension and, you need somebody to go down, and, and Jose Rondon can't because he's out of options, and he looked pretty intriguing last year as somebody with a Palka-type slash line, but also the ability to play all around the infield and play it well. Uh, something's got to give, and, and it just happens to be a numbers game when it comes to options, so it would be disappointing, but at the same time, uh, it was always a possibility just because he hadn't really proved himself as anything more than a DH and potential below average outfielder uh, and he would have to show more. And uh, unfortunately in the spring, he hasn't. Yeah. The bench that I'm guessing will be formalized maybe halfway through April when somebody like Irving Santana is healthy enough to join the team and start pitching. Uh, Obviously James McCann, he's the backup catcher. Mm -hmm. I have Adam Engel as the fourth outfielder who will probably get be sharing time in center field with Lurie Garcia. Uh, and I have Jose Rondon as the other super utility, at least for the infield. Those are the three bench guys that the White Sox are set on carrying eight relievers to start the 2019 season. Do you disagree with any of those choices, Jim? No, that sounds about right, whether it's Leori as the super sub or Angle as the fourth outfielder. Um, one or the other, yeah. I just feel more comfortable having Lurie Garcia's bat in the lineup to start the year. I do too. I just wonder, you know, based on how they've used him before and based on how he has trouble staying healthy, whether they try to kind of nurse him along and, and try to find a groove rather than putting him in every day. And then, you know, yeah, whether it's a uh, uh, tweaks, a calf muscle or, or hurts his thumb sliding or something like that. Uh, he always has these injuries that knock him out for a month and completely ruin what was a promising season. So uh, true. Um, uh, and, and Engel had a good spring too. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, with his history, Angle has a history of, of strong springs, then it disappears in April. But I think with him and given his defense and how thin they are in center to start the season, it does make some sense to give him some run early on, see if anything from Arizona is is sustainable and whether he can carry it over into the regular season. If he can't, then it's Larry time. So is Polka the 26th guy? Is he going to be the player this year that keeps going back and forth? For the White Sox from Charlotte to Chicago? He could. Um, 
I think it depends with Rondon and 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 Leary whether they need a more of an outfielder or whether they need uh, whether Leary can cover the infield spots and they can bring up somebody who's outfield only and and maybe can play first base in a pinch. Uh, I think that might be the old thing that ultimately decides it. Because if Rondonia, if they carry him, but he doesn't really get much playing time and never finds a rhythm, uh, you know, I don't know what value he produces aside from depth. You know, perhaps they'll try to sneak him back down to the minors, and if it doesn't work out, they'll hope that Danny Mendick can be this year's Jose Rondon, and they don't have to worry about it. So uh, I could see by May them having a, a revised bench to where they they instead of having Larry as the fourth outfielder and, and outfield only that maybe he's the infielder now and then they bring up somebody who can stand in a corner or stand in first base and and not embarrass himself like Elcidas Escobar right <laughs> yeah I don't trust that move <laughs> someone's got to play shortstop in Charlotte Jim yeah that'll be Danny Mendick what are you doing with Escobar Escobar is, I think, middle infield help because I don't know if anybody's playing second. He also played third, so I think he'll just be like the Steve Lombardozzi type that just kind of bounces around, fills in uh, spots where they uh, uh, where they need him. Um, you know, it, is, it maybe provides a little bit of, you know, I guess, veteran insurance in case all hell breaks loose and they need somebody who has been in the majors before. But ultimately, I don't think he'll... Yeah, Aside from the AL Central familiarity and the slight sense of dread I have by carrying him in the picture, I think ultimately it'll just be somebody who bounces between third and short and second. And, you know, maybe Mendick bounces around too to keep that utility skill sharp. But um, ultimately, I think Mendick will be the everyday shortstop at Charlotte. The Charlotte Knights are going to be very random. It's just going to be a very, very random lineup and roster. Whereas Double A in Birmingham and Winston Salem, it's going to be fun because it's going to be lineups filled with prospects. In Triple A, that's not going to be the case, especially for the Charlotte Knights. But hey, with Casey Gillespie cut, sounds like Zach Collins is going to be the starting first baseman for the Charlotte Knights. Yeah, I'm going to be curious about that split. Um, seems like they might try to keep it as close to fifty-fifty as possible, but uh, ultimately, I think the the success with trying to get either of those guys up to the majors. I would probably play Zavala 70% of the time behind the plate, Collins 30%, see if there's any improvement, but ultimately get ready to move him out from behind the plate and hope that his bat does the work and and hope that maybe, you know, going from catcher to first base to where he doesn't have to do all this defensive improvement drills and, and work on calling games and all, all the duties that come with catchers. Maybe that frees him up to get more out of his bats. That's more, I think it's wishful thinking along the lines of having Moncada go to third base and hope that it, I guess, improves his focus and allows him to be a more effective hitter. But I could see the case with the catcher, you know, just not having to worry about, you know, do all this homework for a position that he was never going to stick at. Yeah. That's a good point. And we'll have the minor league previews, obviously, on SoxMachine.com and the podcast once we have a firm idea on what the final rosters are going to be. But for the White Sox, Carlos Rodon, he'll be starting opening day. Ronaldo Lopez will start game two for the White Sox, which means he has the home opener next week against Seattle. So cool moment for the young pitcher. And we'll be recapping opening day and setting up the weekend uh, in Kansas City this week as Sox Machine Live will be making its first appearance. 
this season on Thursday night after the White Sox opening day game against the Royals. So mark your calendars for that as you'll be getting podcasts from us daily starting April again. So we are ready to be churning out content every single day like we have been. But this time the games count. And it'll be very exciting to kick off another season, both for the site and the podcast. But coming up next, it's prediction time for the 2019 White Sox season. After a word from our sponsor. With opening day approaching, it's still time for you guys to get your futures bets in for the Major League Baseball season. I'm excited with Aloy Jimenez now being in the White Sox, looking at him as rookie of the year. You got to make sure to get those bets in. And if you haven't gotten those bets in yet, you have to use betonline.ag. And with Major League Baseball starting up and March Madness now entering into the Sweet 16, going to the Elite 8 after this weekend, great opportunities to make some money while you're watching these games. And the best way to do it, again, is going to betonline.ag. So online, use your smartphone, sign up today, go to betonline.ag, and the best part is, is that you can get a 50% sign-up bonus by going to clnsmedia.com slash machine. So if you deposit $100, you get $50 sign-up bonus. How awesome is that? So again, all you have to do is just go to clnsmedia.com slash machine and use promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-on bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Hey, Sox Machine, this is John calling from Arcata, California. I think this year is going to be all about Eloy. He's going to have the best season wearing number 74. The Sox are going to win 74 games, finish 74 and 88. And my bold prediction is the Sox take advantage of 19 of their first 30 games against the Royals, Tigers, and Orioles and sit in first place in the Central on May 1st. This is Miguel Rivera from Chicago. I'm a a smart North Sider being a White Sox fan on the North Side. So here's my record for the Sox for 2019. They'll be 73-89, and uh, but but really close. We'll be competitive all the way until about August. player that's going to have the best season on the White Sox this year is going to be T.A., Tim Anderson. Uh, And my prediction is that this will be the last opening day that Lucas Diolito is a member of the starting rotation. Thanks. What's up, Sox machine? This is Rich from Chicago. I'll make this short and sweet. The record for the White Sox will be 88-74. and The player to have the best season will be Yohan Mankata. I think the time is now. And bold prediction for the 2019 season will be Carlos Rodon finishing third in the Cy Young votes. Thanks. Hi, this is Jimbo from uh, Midway uh, with my 2019 predictions. I think the White Sox are going to finish at 84 and 78. Uh, player to have the best season, I think Jose Abreu is going to have a complete season this year. Uh, I think he's going to be 35 and 100. I think Yonder at first base is going to give him some uh, time off his feet, which is going to be big. And I think the bold prediction for the season is that uh, the White Sox starting rotation will get 60-plus uh, wins which would be a huge jump from last year. Thanks. want to thank you, Jimbo, Rich, Miguel, and John for joining the show to share their predictions for the 2019 season 
Now it's our turn. And later this week on Wednesday, we'll have a post up on SoxMachine.com for you to make your picks as well before the season begins. Be fun to come back and see how right and wrong we were uh, before the 2019 season starts. And the Sox Machine staff will be making our World Series picks then on Wednesday, so you guys can make fun of those too. Uh, But Jim, let's get started with our 2019 White Sox predictions. And we're going to start with best White Sox position player. So after this year is done, who will be the best White Sox position player? I'm going to go with Yohan Mankata. See, that's who I'm going with too. Why did you go with Yohan Mankata? I think there is some improvement for him with the bats having a year of all those uh, strikeouts looking. There's got to be some change there, and, and I think the spring there there was some improvement on that end, uh, putting the ball in play before two strikes, a little bit you know, squaring up his contact issues. The swing from the right side looked a little bit better, so I can see some improvement there, even if I think he'll be a frustrating average to slightly above average hitter over the next year or two. But I do like the position change of third base. I think uh, it st- he stands to improve a lot defensively. Um, less complicated actions at uh, third base compared to second. Doesn't have to really worry about pivoting and throwing across body and, and stopping momentum and, and making plays from weird angles and such. He can just mainly go to his left, throw to his left, and uh, the number of misplays that he makes should drop dramatically to where I think he can be an above-average player factoring in both the glove and the physical tools at the plate, which I think will be more apparent this time around. As long as he's not batting leadoff, I think Mikata will be more aggressive this year, Mm -hmm. and he looks stronger hitting from the right side of the plate. Now, obviously, he's going to hit left-handed far more often. There's far more right-handed starters in the American League than there are left-handed starters. But... Against left-handed pitching, I think Mikado will be much stronger this year. He just looks a lot more confident barreling up pitches, hitting from the right side. I think Yohan Mikado, I mean, third base is stacked. I don't, he could be a dark horse for the All-Star game. But again, there's a lot of good third basemen mm-hmm. uh, in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, so it's going to be tough to compare him in his first year against like Matt Chapman, for example, of the Oakland Athletics. I don't think he's going to be there quite yet, but I do think that Yohan Mikata's got a good chance of being a three-plus win player for the White Sox in 2019. Uh, and I think he's the only one that I could look at confidently right now and say, yeah, he he has that potential. Uh, so that's why I'm going with Yohan Mikata as well for best position player. How about the best White Sox pitcher? When we're done with 2019, who do you think would have impressed the most and earned this nod, Jim? Well, I think I tipped my hand with my extension answer, but Reynaldo Lopez... Now, that's a good one. I went with Carlos Rodon just because I think finally Carlos Rodon stays healthy. And with a full season of Rodon, I think that he'll be a three-war pitcher. And I I don't know. I think Lopez has the potential or maybe I should say ability. I think Lopez has the ability to be just as good. But I still feel like if Carlos Rodon is healthy then knowing what we have seen in the past from him during his spurts, that this is someone that is an above average major league starter. And I, I it's, I'm still sticky with Carlos Rodon, but why Ronaldo Lopez? Why do you think Lopez this year will be the White Sox best pitcher? Well, I, I like his, um, 
I guess I like the state of his game, I guess, to, to be general about it. Um, you know, as I mentioned with rookies, you know, him putting together his first full pro season, he survived and he found ways to improve towards the end. He was missing more bats at the end. He maintained his velocity very well through starts, uh, was able to find that extra gear in his fastball when he needed to, like in sixth inning jams. And, and I like the way he, uh, uh, you know, challenge hitters in those situations he really didn't shy away from big situations and some of that's intangible but part of it's confidence in in his stuff and and being able to ride the fastball high and 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 throw more effective breaking balls i think the changeup might be a little bit iffy but i think between those two pitches i i like where he's going and uh probably of all the pitchers i i you know when, when factoring in health i think he's the only one i feel good about i think with rodan it's hard to know just because he's never you know, this will be like the first fully rested uh normal off season and spring training he's had in a bit and uh with all the injuries he's had it's hard to know exactly just what his stuff really is and and he scared me last year just because he was getting uh roped around the field by lefties you know it's one thing when he struggles against the righties and and uh um, you know, that's, that's who does the damage, but lefties were killing him in September last year. Uh, the slider really wasn't doing anything. The velocity wasn't, um, up there as it was before the shoulder surgery. And, uh, I don't quite know if he's that good enough to deal with like, you know, throwing in the low nineties, um, to where he's in, especially with his injury history. Uh, I think his, uh, you know, lack of the power he had before the shoulder surgery, makes me think that he's, those flashes of dominance that he shows are going to be less frequent. And then the fact that he gets injured basically every year uh, makes me less confident that he'll be able to top 150 innings. So I think between those two things, I'm rather bearish on Rodon. And then, you know, Giolito's a, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, his stuff looks better, but the results weren't great in spring. And we really won't know until like mid-April anyway, uh, you know, exactly how his stuff looks against major league hitters. And then Nova is you know just a strike thrower at this point and yeah it's just kind of low ceiling guys right now so lopez is the only one i feel good about and the others kind of had to show that they have uh sustainably improved stuff yeah my with carlos Rodon, it's a leap of faith but i have faith i i'm still sticking with you carlos you can do it buddy uh, <laughs> now moving over uh to our next predictions and uh these are a little bit more open-ended what do you think is the best case scenario, Jim, for the White Sox in 2019? Feels like a win total in the high 70s just by fattening up on the weak AL Central, um, you know, having some lopsided records against rebuilding teams and getting a lot out of Jimenez, getting a lot out of Moncada, having Lopez and Giolito look like they can be fixtures in a rotation going forward and maybe Rodon too. Uh, I think the, there's still a lot of uh, stuff missing in the lineup, especially in terms of OBP and starting rotation is thin and can't really uh, weather an injury or two that well. Uh, so I think that limits their upside, but I think, you know, if things break right and they get big years out of their top prospects and mitigate the damage from the lesser parts of it, high seventies, all right, so my best case scenario, I'm going to combine what our listeners John and Jimbo mentioned. The White Sox start hot, and they are in first place after April. Eloy smashes, and he wins Rookie of the Year. Mikata has his breakout. Injuries are limited. The starting pitching staff holds up, 
and the White Sox put a scare into Cleveland but fade in September and finish 83 and 79 in second place in the AL Central, a 21 game improvement from last year. I think that is the best case scenario for the White Sox in 2019. Yes, That's pretty good. I think we would we would really enjoy that. But then we would be really angry because it's like, "Oh, what could have been with Manny Machado?" Which speaking of that, my worst case scenario for 2019, Jim, Eloy doesn't hit. Mikata strikes out more than 200 times again. Tim Anderson regresses, and we question if he's going to stick at shortstop long-term. Abreu misses significant time. The starting pitching doesn't hold up. Dylan Cease gets hurt. The White Sox only win 57 games, and San Diego, behind Manny Machado, earns a wild-card berth. I think that's the worst-case scenario that I could think of for the White Sox in 2019. How about you? No, that sounds about right. <laughs> I, think, uh, <laughs> I think we saw from last year what worst case scenarios look like uh, when it comes to supremely talented players not being able to put it together with, you know, injuries, targeting the softest spots of the White Sox depth chart. Yeah, it's it's a mess. And I think uh, with Basabe being out for uh, a little bit because of the broken hammock and, and, and the fact that hand injuries can linger, you know, that's not a great start. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Kopech being out, Dane Dunning being out, uh, it's on that trek to start. And I think uh, they'll have to uh, cut off the injuries for, uh, you know, maybe at least a couple months in order to start feeling better about the trajectory of the rebuild. I, I think, you know, in April is is great, but I think uh, when it comes to guys like Luis Robert and Dylan Cease and Zach Birdie, hopefully if, if he looks anything like he did when they drafted him, I'm hoping that uh, by late May, we're feeling better about the overall health of the system, even if maybe they're still a middling team uh, at the major league level. All right. So leads up to this moment, the one that we're going to look back and compare this season to our preseason prediction. What is your win-loss prediction, Jim, for the 2019 Chicago White Sox? I'm going chalk. Uh, with all the projection systems and saying 70 and 92. See, that's what I'm going with as well. So on the Sox Machine podcast, we're going with 70 and 92. They, they just seem built to not overachieve. I think some might, but I have more faith in the offense. I'm still very unsure about the starting pitching for the reasons that you mentioned previously. Carlos Rodon's health, Lucas Giolito's effectiveness, what Ivan Nova and Irving Santana could bring to the table at this stage of their career, uh, not having depth with Dane Dunning, not being available. And after Dylan sees a lot of question marks, people I'm not comfortable counting on uh, to pitch in the major leagues. Uh, yeah. That that's kind of where it is at the moment that, you know, every passing day I have more faith that the white Sox offense is going to be there. And every passing day I have, I am losing confidence that the White Sox starting pitching is going to be good enough. That sounds about right. And I felt kind of cheap going with the projection systems, but I think in this year, uh, just how every single projection just keeps bringing them back to that number. And I understand it. Uh, it's a, it's an improvement over what they did last season, but also uh, still far away from feeling good about the rebuild still and i was thinking about too you mentioned the you know uh, the dream scenario for you where you have them winning 83 games and then being pissed off that they didn't add machado i i think the the probably 
ideal balance of success and being far enough away to where Machado wouldn't have made a difference probably is about 74 wins to where you still feel like, uh, you know, one player, yeah, even if you, you know, don't treat uh, wins above replacement as true wins, you know, and say like a, a six-win season by Machado would add six wins to the team. But, uh, you know, just having the bat in there, you'd say like you would need Machado to like maximize all his, <laughs> all his big hits to contribute to wins to get him, you know, above 85 and actually into postseason contention. So probably 73, 74 is probably where you start uh, – you know, after that, you start wondering what exactly Machado could have done and whether he could have helped them win enough before the trade deadline to add. And then you start, uh, you know, running these alternate histories <laughs> to uh, try to figure out exactly what they could have done. So probably 73-74 is that uh, sweet spot to where uh, they're not kicking themselves too much. All right. So that's our win-loss prediction for the White Sox in 2019. What is your bold prediction? This could be either for Major League Baseball or for the White Sox in 2019, Jim. Well, I think if I need to be consistent um, and go back to the uh, Buffalo Wings and Rings bold predictions that we made, uh, which you know, a lot of people did not hear and, and thus sounds brand new, I will say my bold prediction for the White Sox was that uh, Tyler Johnson would somehow end up in the Major League bullpen I like it. at the end of the year. Uh, being this year's Ian Hamilton to where uh, college pitcher, f- big fastball, slider combination. We've seen those guys just shoot up the, the ladder. And uh, given how bullpen guys are frequently interchanged and given that Nate Jones is always hurt and Kelvin Herrera has been banged up the last couple of years, I think there will be openings based on injuries and trades. And and I think somebody like Johnson can shoot up. So, uh, and, and what will be kind of a stagnant year for the farm system there shouldn't be many high profile promotions it'll be like i would say more along the lines of retreads and maybe dylan cease will be the big one but i don't see luis robert making the jump or nick madrigal or luis basabe i i've i liked him until the hand injury now i i've uh uh, i think the white Sox might have to be more conservative with him i could see maybe johnson being the biggest surprise out of uh you know uh prospects of some some note do you have one for the major league baseball as a whole I'm, I don't know how to feel about the Padres. I could see them making the big jump or I could see them just being permanently self-defeating. <laughs> like with the Eric Hosmer thing. Yeah, I could see that okay. just, you know, Hosmer getting worse and uh, Ron Fowler being on the capricious side and not uh, committing, you know, wanting to tear it down or wanting to get rid of guys. And, uh, you know, maybe Machado not being, you know, I guess great in Petco and or at least being a little bit underwhelming based on the way Petco suppresses numbers and and Fowler getting on him a little bit. I really don't know what to make of the Padres. So I could make a bold prediction either way and say like the Padres will win 90 games and being being in the wild card hunt, or I could see them winning 73 games and being the subject of great dissension. All right. My bold prediction for Major League Baseball. Only the Los Angeles Dodgers will be the National League team returning to the postseason from last year. The Braves, Cubs, Brewers, and Rockies will not make the postseason. That's my bold Hmm. prediction. So only the Dodgers. So a a pretty much refresh on the National League postseason look. And um, for the White Sox, I'm going to disagree with you. This is is really bold. I think Luis Robert will join the team in September. I, I I am hopping on... 
the bandwagon. I think just like with Carlos Hernan, Jim, I I can't say with a straight face at the moment. I'm making a leap of faith that Robert will stay healthy. He will hit in Winston-Salem. He will hit in Birmingham. And when that season is over, the White Sox decide we've already given him a lot of money. Let's go ahead and see what he can do in a few weeks in center field after they struggle to with Lurie Garcia, Adam Engel, and John Jay in center, that they decide to get a, a quick preview on what Luis Robert could bring. Yeah, I thought about that because I'm, I'm working on my list of the most essential White Sox, and when I make that list, I limit it to players who I think could feasibly appear in the major leagues, and I don't really know about Robert. One uh, is, I think, by talent and, and his ceiling and... The fact that when he has everything going, he looks, uh, you know, he shouldn't be an A-ball this year. Like, he's, there's no reason for him to be there unless he gets hurt, you know, bangs up his wrist, hurts his thumb to where his power is sapped. But when you see the kind of contact he makes in the Arizona Fall League and, and see what he did in limited bats in spring training, he should not be an A-ball. He's, he's a double-A player, and he could explode uh, based on the physical tools he has. But the fact that he gets hurt so often and, and the fact that, uh, they were so well set up for an Eloy Jimenez promotion in July last year, and they made it through the entire season without calling him up. I think they could do the same thing with Robert, um, just uh, based on, I guess, how nervous or conservative or just how much they hate paying players uh, or, or uh, fear this uh, you know super two arb you know you know situation to where the you know, their arb salaries might explode you know just given the way they treated Jimenez uh I think Robert uh would be under similar circumstances but I think with Robert I think my bigger concern is just that he stays healthy enough to be able to put together you know 110 good games that make him worthy of a September call-up the only thing I I disagree with you on the money because they've already paid him a lot of money that's yeah, but where I still, think it would be a bit different. Yeah, I think, the, but they'll still have to pay him more. So that might, yeah, and, and another way you might they say we, we've uh, had to pay fifty one million for him. Do we really want to, you know, have him making, yeah, do we or do we want to see if we can do the same thing with Jimenez and try to get him to agree to a contract so we don't have to pay him, yeah, you know, now it'd be like say one hundred and fifty million for his team control period based on, uh, you know, if you include the the bonus they paid him and the overage penalty they paid for blowing out their uh, their international pool money. I mean, if it comes down to that, then yeah, Rick Hahn is part of Major League Baseball's problem. GMs like Rick Hahn are part of Major League Baseball's problem. <laughs> um, yeah, I, now you mention it, I guess I could see the White Sox doing it. It doesn't logically make any sense to me, but... Yeah, I guess the White Sox could do that. But it's still going to be my bold prediction. Damn it, I'm still no, going that with... Make, that makes it bolder. So Yes. So against all odds, <laughs> Luis Robert will be will join the team in September this year. Uh, and if that does happen, it'll be even more exciting uh, for the 2019 season. But again, like I said, you guys will have an opportunity on Wednesday at SoxMachine.com. So on Wednesday... Go to the site. We'll have it formatted for you. You can post in the comment section your guys' bold predictions for the 2019 season. It'll be very fun to share. But you guys also had questions for us, so let's go ahead and try to answer them next in P.O. Socks. 
Before we answer your questions in P.O. Socks, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And I use SeatGeek all of the time after the White Sox decided to sign Aloy Jimenez and the fact that he's going to be on the White Sox on opening day. I had to get opening day tickets and SeatGeek has plenty of options for you for the home opener on Thursday, April 4th against the Seattle Mariners. Right now they have tickets as cheap as $36 for opening day. And if you can't make it at opening day because you got to work on Thursday, they have some great deals as well for the weekend with tickets starting at $20 on Saturday and $12 for the Sunday game. And best of all, Sox Machine listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to us at Socks Machine, posting them on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine, or helping support the site and the show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And Jim, we have some really good questions this week. The first one uh, is a good friend of the show from Gukas Leogito. And Gukas is asking, it's time to look at the regular season schedule. What do you think of the first month of the season? Is it an opportunity or an obstacle? It's an opportunity. <laughs> it's really soft. Um, man, it's... They have six straight games against the Tampa Bay Rays and New York Yankees, including and the games are at Yankee Stadium. So those are tough. Uh, that'll be a, a rough stretch for them, especially if the Rays you know, are as effective with the opener and everything as they were last year. After that or, or around that, 18 games against rebuilding teams, including both series against Baltimore. They're getting them out of the way, uh, both series in April. Then the Indians are there, but the Indians might be missing Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez. Uh, you know, depending on how you know Ramirez coming back from the uh, the bruised kneecap, which looked a, a lot worse than it did uh, you know, when he got carted off the field following a ball off his leg. Uh, it seems like it's just a bruise, and he should be back. But how soon will he be back? Will they be missing their top two stars for that series? Will the White Sox miss the top two starters because of uh, you know the second series? You know, it, they could be getting the weakest possible version of the Indians. So uh, when you look at that, it's really, really soft. Uh, you know, a lot of Royals, a lot of uh, Tigers. Um, I could see them having a winning record at the end of the month, and then they run into a buzzsaw with the Red Sox and Indian, Indians, two four-game sets back-to-back. Uh, that maybe knocks them down to uh, reality. But I think for April, there could be a little bit of... Uh, 
you know, with Jimenez up and with hopefully the starting rotation fully effective with Santana joining it, maybe there's enough to make White Sox fans feel a little bit better about everything. Uh, I think May will be the test to see, you know, I guess just how these good vibes last. Well, as one of our voicemails that we received, John, he, his bold prediction is that the White Sox will be in first place on May 1st. Uh, I, I like that because I could see that after looking at the first month, but I agree with you, Jim May and June, uh, do not look friendly for the white Sox. So while we might be feeling good about ourselves rooting for the white Sox after April, uh, May and June, do, like I said, do not look friendly and it will suck the enthusiasm out, uh, for the season pretty quickly again. But you know. yeah, I think with the White Sox too, you know, I think they're probably a team that other rebuilding teams look at as a way to fatten up. You know, there is a little bit of zero sum there with all these teams, uh, you know, picking in the top 10, especially in the L central, you know, picking in the top five that they all look at the schedule and say, Oh good. The White Sox. Right the way the White Sox say, oh, good, the Royals. So I think there will be trading wins and losses among uh, the cellar dwellers, and so they might struggle to have some escape velocity from the rest of the division. But um, but I could also see them, you know, if everybody's effective and healthy, the White Sox did get out of the spring pretty healthy. Um, maybe they're able to get out ahead of the other rebuilding teams. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, and obviously we're going to be tracking it on the show and the website. So Gukas, Thank you so much for submitting your question. Our next question comes from Simeon and Simeon is asking how much stock should I put in this? And he posted a picture and the picture is Yoan Makata leading all hitters in spring training and on base percentage with a 482 on base percentage. So how much stock Jim should we put in Makata's spring training performance? I would say little for that kind of ceiling. Um, but I, I, as, as we talked about with the best position players, I do like the way he's headed. Uh, when it comes to Moncada, he's had good springs before round strikeouts. He is making improvements along those lines. He had 15 strikeouts and 59 plate appearances, you know, just a little bit above uh, 25%. And I think if he were able to lower his strikeout rate to the high 20s, uh, you know, not rounding up to 30%, that should be enough to allow him to improve to be an above average hitter when you factor in his strength and his speed. Uh, I think he's, uh, you know, could steal more bases if he gets on base. So I think he can be an above average offensive contributor. And, and so this spring is a good start. But I think when you look at his other springs, he does light up AAA pitching. I think that was the thing with Charlotte is that he was too good for the league, even though he struck out 30% of the time there. So, uh, you know, against lesser competition against, you know, starting pitchers who are not going more than three innings. I think he, uh, you know, has the tendency or, or does set up for him to look better than he is. But uh, I would say a 400 on base percentage would be, I think, at the high end of his projections. But I can see him, you know, maybe by the end of the year being a 360, 370 guy. And I think, you know, based on how he finished last year, uh, that would put him on the right track. And I think even if he does, you know, maybe he's not quite an all-star um, this season, I think there's still a proven ahead. Don't tease me with the 360, 370 on base percentage, Jim. That would be amazing. From what we have seen and what we have dealt with in the last few years with White Sox hitters not getting on base, <laughs> that would be tremendous is to have a hitter with a 360 or 370 on base percentage. Omar Narvaez did it. So. <sighs> yep. Good old Omar. Yep. Looked good in Tokyo. We'll see how he works out for the Seattle. He was the Mariners. first one to hug Ichiro. I know, man. 
Good moment for him. Good moment. Yep. So Simeon, hopefully uh, we should take a lot of stock in that. It's it's leading to bigger things for the upcoming year. But again, thank you so much for your question. We did get this question from Andrew Seagull, Jim, and you briefly touched on it, uh, answering Gukas' question about the first month of the season, not facing the Cleveland Indians at full strength after what happened in the final spring training game with Jose Ramirez falling off a pitch and suffering a knee contusion. And Andrew's asking, you've kind of addressed this on Twitter, but do the Indians' potential weaknesses leave you hopeful, frustrated, or both? Yeah, on Twitter, I said that uh, when Ramirez went down and when he was carted off and it looked like he maybe uh, Jermaine died himself. Uh, like when, when I think it was 2001, Dye fouled a ball off his kneecap, broke his kneecap, and I think missed the entirety of them or most of the next season and really affected his uh, his overall athleticism. And, and you know, that looked like uh, uh, when Ramirez had to be carted off, it looked like there could be the worst case scenario. And, and I said, like, when you see the Indians, you know, either most important or second most important player go down like that. And you realize just how fragile the Indians offense is. It really makes the White Sox off season and, and, and the lack of ambition they showed outside of a um, limited run at Manny Machado, just all the more frustrating. And I think, you know, when you look at the off season and to answer his question, I think it's, uh, it would be frustrating, but I do think it would be, more hopeful just because, uh, and not, you know, necessarily to pile on Ramirez and, and root for an injury. <laughs> it sounds like hopeful He's saying like, God, I hope he's hurt, but more along the lines of just, you know, seeing how thin, uh, the offense is and just seeing how little they've done to reinforce it coming off three consecutive AL central titles when this should be the kind of thing that generates, you know, higher and higher payrolls and sustains fan interest. I think we've seen the best roster that the Indians can muster already, maybe last year or, or even the year before, uh, that we've seen the best uh, roster that the Indians can muster through this entire heyday that they've had. And now it's just going to be a matter of trying to salvage their resources and, and maybe make trades to draw from a strength and, and address a weakness without crippling you know, one part of their team. Uh, but you know, at this point, you know, I'm, I'm hoping if the White Sox ever had three consecutive AL Central uh, titles that they'd be drawing 2.3, 2.4 million uh, as a, I guess as a uh, floor, and then you would see the payroll go from, you know, 90 million now to 110, to 130, 150. You know, being able to add and add and add, where the Indians peaked and now they've been drawing it down and seeing how little they can win the AL Central with. And so I guess I'm hopeful about the White Sox prospects that the rebuild doesn't need to be that good to start thinking about overtaking the Indians when, like, Francisco Lindor's contract is up. So I think, uh, uh, you know, they're definitely looking weaker. And when you see just what their offense looks like when you even have to think about the missing Ramirez, they're not that far away from just being a an average team, especially like if Bauer leaves and if Kluber leaves. There's not a whole lot there um, where they can, uh, you know, where they have the the kind of star power to carry such a thin roster that they're carrying right now. Yeah, and you know they do have a lot of young talent in their farm system, but again, it's very young and still yeah. needs a few years. So, yeah, I mean, if the Indians are serious about trading a Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber for that matter 
knowing that they're going to lose Francisco Lindor, then yeah, they're going to have a, r- a rough couple of years. Yeah, Lindor, you know, I I assumed he was gone before all these extensions were signed. Now I'm a little less sure just because you see the way uh, players are gravitating towards these deals. But I think the Indians payroll seems to be so constricted that I don't know how they fit in a Lindor extension that Lindor would actually sign. Right, right. But for this season, uh, all we know as we are recording this is that the early x-ray scans for Jose Ramirez are negative. And it is a knee contusion, but it is unknown for how long he's going to be out to start the year. And the Indians are also without Jason Kipnis for at least the first half of the month of April uh, to a calf injury. And of course, we know about Francisco Lindor as well. So, yeah, the Indians, I think, are going to have a slow start, even though they have really good starting pitching. uh, I think maybe the best starting rotation in the American League, if not all of Major League Baseball. But there's just nothing supporting that starting rotation to start the year. And if Jose Ramirez is out two weeks or even, let's say, a month, that does leave an opening for somebody in the American League Central to start really hot and get themselves ahead maybe five or six games of the Cleveland Indians and see how long that lasts before the Indians finally get to full strength Uh, And they start getting into rhythm again, if that does happen. So uh, it's an excellent question, Andrew. It is definitely something that's going to be on the minds for everybody else in the American League Central and especially in Cleveland on how the Indians start. But I don't think on how the Indians start in 2019 is how they're going to finish. I do expect everyone to get healthy. And when they do get healthy, I expect the Cleveland Indians to be the team we thought they were going to be. One that would dominate the American League Central. But Injuries are the great equalizer in Major League Baseball, and when key players get hurt, it does leave the door open for somebody in the division, but we'll have to see which team is most prepared to take advantage of that opportunity. I still think it's the Minnesota Twins, right, Jim? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the Twins, I don't know what to make of them just because they have a little bit of a lopsided roster. The pitching staff is a little bit on the thin side, but based on... Uh, you know, Rocco Baldelli coming in, making some changes to their coaching staff, bringing in, bringing in a lot of college coaches. Um, they, they've really revamped their development. And I think how they're approaching uh, matriculating some of this talent, um, they seem to kind of want to be on the raise uh, path of coming up with wins out of uh, spots on the roster you might not expect. Um, so I could see them being the case where they are surprising and, 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 and maybe are able to overachieve after what looked like a, a limited winter uh, that uh, where they didn't uh, spend as much as they could have. But uh, I could also see them taking a, a bit of time to mesh and, and having some injury issues like Byron Buxton frequently gets hurt and uh, you know, Miguel Sano is out. And uh, you know, maybe if they lose a pitcher here and there that uh, you know they aren't able to put it together. So uh, Twins, I'm... I'm open-minded about it. I could see them going either way, and uh, they'll be fascinating to watch because they're a little bit of an experiment in the Central. I think the Twins will win anywhere from 75 to 85 games. I could see them. I could. I could see them winning 90, if if Buxton breaks out, if they're able to shape their pitching staff and do something that's more effective than it looks on paper. Yeah, on paper it does not look good at the moment. Yeah. And and the Central being so weak that if they fatten up against the you know the rebuilding teams and. The Indians aren't great. Yeah, I could see them winning 90. I, I'm going to stick with 75 to 85 wins. I think that's where the Twins will be. 
it's a much different yeah. range of the White Sox where I just went 57 to 83. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say, I would say, yeah, I, I would maybe set my low bar for the White Sox at, again, 62. We'll, we'll see. But Andrew, it's a great question. It's very timely. It's going to be something that we'll be talking about in future episodes of the podcast, especially as the White Sox second series of the season is in Cleveland. So thank you so much for your question, Andrew. And great questions this week from everybody in P.O. Sox. Thank you guys so much for submitting questions. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Sox Machine. You can help support the site and the show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. We still have pint glasses, right, Jim? Sure do. Uh, we're, uh, getting ready to ship them out for all the $10 contributors. And then, uh, from there, uh, should I, you know, should the, the runs to the post office slow down a little bit and uh, I can actually sit down and work on a storefront, uh, it will be available to people who are not yet, not yet, I hope <laughs> supporting on that tier. That's awesome. So yeah, look at that. A storefront that you can buy as far as a sweet looking pint glasses. They are in the wild now. They look great. If you're interested in getting one, you can go to patreon.com slash machine and sign up for that tier today. We greatly benefit from your guys' support as it helps as far as maintain the website and the podcast. And you also get additional content every single week as well from writings, asking additional PO Sox questions. You guys will be able to ask questions to our guests that only you will be able to hear that on the podcast. And each of those podcasts for Patreon supporters is ad free as well. So if you like our work and you like to help support us and get some more content back again, go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this edition of the socks machine podcast. I want to thank John Miguel rich and Jimbo for taking the time and leaving a message on our voicemail and joining the show with their bold predictions for the 2019 White Sox season. And if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Remember, Sox Machine Live comes back later this week, Thursday night. And for those that missed the live show, it will be in your podcast feed on Friday morning. And next week, we are delivering daily podcasts to you guys. So we are in full swing for the regular season. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Come celebrate Lowe's first annual Spring Fest and give your lawn the look it deserves with five bags of premium mulch for $10 or three 19.3-ounce Bonnie vegetables and herbs for $9. Spring Fest, a festival of fun and savings for your garden and total home, in-store or online. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. Offers valid through 421 while supplies last, in-store only. Selection varies by location, U.S. only, excluding Alaska and Hawaii. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, 
a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.